This is Keith MacArthur from Stream Financial. In this episode, we'll be talking to Chip Ambrosio, who is from Outside the Box. He's a stand-up comedian based out of New Jersey. He and I will be discussing the ins and outs of the comedy business and his journey from the corporate world to being a stand-up comic. Welcome to the Accountable Podcast. Uh, hey, Chip. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure meeting you. Yeah, well, it's great to be here, and uh, there's nothing like having a comedian talk about business. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> business usually isn't funny, so it's nice to uh, it's nice to try and add a little bit to it. <laughs> you know, it's been my dream to bring out the humor in accounting. You know, since I got to the business like 25 years ago, so I was waiting for this break. Thanks. Well, they're there. Maybe they're in their business line for you. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. So we're here to talk about comedy and business. Is that right? Uh, yeah, for the most part. And also it's just to, you know, get a little bit uh, better acquainted with you and kind of your story and um, your journey from corporate life to being a comedian and um, kind of the, the challenges, I guess, that that you faced making that journey, because I think there's probably a lot relatable to other business owners, because um, effectively you're, you're your own business, it's a one-man show. Um, there's a lot of other people out there that are exactly like that, but they're doing coaching or they're doing something else. Um, but I think the journey can really be the same in a lot of cases. Um, everyone of course has their, their own little nuances to it, but I think the, the general story is, um, can be, you know, pretty relatable. So you started in a corporate job, um, uh, probably yeah, yeah. like most people, pretty mundane corporate job. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it actually was kind of a weird thing because I had never, uh, I actually had a magazine for uh, about eight years, and uh, and since we're talking about business, I really had no business background. I was into it for the art, and as a result of that, not having that business background, I had a partner who kind of, um, how would I say it in a nice way, took me to the cleaners. So I had to start all over again, and I got my first corporate job, and um, I didn't love corporate. Uh, and I saw an ad in the back of the Village Voice that said, want to be a stand-up comic. So I called the ad, and the guy said, you want to go on stage or you want to take classes? I said, I'll just go on stage. Uh, I prepared. I went up. It was surreal. The lights are hitting you in the face. Time's distorted. I got off, and I was at the bar having a drink with my wife, and I was like, wow, that was horrible. And the club owner came over and said, that was pretty good. You want to... Uh, come back. And I was like, well, where's the scam? Is he going to ask me for money? Does he want me to take classes? You know, so as you can see, I had a really positive out- outlook for my future. Um, but what happened was then I had the two careers. I actually used the word career. I had the two careers like running simultaneously. Um, and then what eventually happened, like after um, 20 years, when I first started doing stand up, the club owner said to me, you'll be able to quit your job in six months. And then 20 years later, I was able to quit my job and just do stand-up writing for people and things like that. But it only happened when I started to think of it as a business because I was thinking about it as a hobby at first. And then you have to kind of apply business principles to something that you love to do. You said it it took 20 years basically to uh, shed the corporate veil. (laughs) 
I guess, yeah. Yeah. Um, to basically, you know, start following, I guess, full-time what you love to do. So, you know, and I guess, you know, you've, you've got a family and I, I'm sure that over those 20 years, it was, it put strain at times because you're working probably nine to five and depending on the corporate job, maybe it's nine to seven <laughs> or right. whatever. And then you're, you've got to leave your corporate job and you're running to gigs and um, your time was probably all consumed in your two careers. H- how did, how did that unfold? Did it eventually get easier? Was it tough in the beginning? Oh yeah. I remember when I first started doing stand up. um, we didn't have kids. Then we had a son. And I remember doing my day job, um, coming home. My wife was in the middle of postpartum depression. The kid is sleeping in a bassinet in our apartment and laying on the floor and rocking it to sleep till, the, till my son went to sleep. And then what happens is you kind of learn how to manage your, I guess some people call it shadow career, like you would manage a real um, career. And until I started actually looking at some of the stuff that you guys do, like keeping track of the money that was coming in and the money that was coming out, um, it was just something that would never be a career that would support me. So I had to look at the financial end of it so that I could leave the job that I didn't like. Exactly. If that makes sense. But yeah. No, exactly. I'm sure because there's only so many hours in a day that you, it's probably very difficult to get to that point where you're comfortable enough that the shadow career can now replace the, the other, your main career um, for the simple fact that you're probably spending more time in your main career than your shadow career, right? So there's probably a leap of faith at some point where you had to make that, okay, I think I'm comfortable enough now that if I could spend all my time doing this, yeah, well, sometimes, sometimes fate lends a hand, you know, like in the form of layoffs and things <laughs> like that, or um, you're in the middle of a, of a period where you're either consulting or can't get back into the corporate market. So uh, you're forced to. Sometimes when you don't have a choice, when there's no other option, yes, that's when things work out because it has to work out. So you also realize that in a business... Uh, especially comedy, you just can't be standing on stage and telling jokes because when you start out, you're working for free uh, and then you start to get paid um, and then you start to see how, you know, the financial end of comedy works and then you realize, hey, you know, like I can write jokes for people and I can make money doing that. I can go into corporate and, you know, write a funny video for a corporation and you start to see all the kind of different ways that you can use comedy to make money. You know, so it's like, I'm like the native American with the Buffalo only it's not that noble. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I kind of ended up running my own business in a somewhat similar way that had the corporate job and, uh, got laid off and then it's kind of like, all right, now what do I do? Um, mm-hmm. started hunting for another job and, and, uh, with another corporate, you know, potential employer and. And eventually it's, hmm, maybe I can do this by myself. <laughs> and then you just kind of start spending more time hunting uh, than you do, uh, you know, applying for jobs. And uh, eventually, again, a bunch of chance sort of came into play and um, hence the opportunity to uh, to start the company where I'm with now. Um, 
so yeah, I can completely agree. It's a bit of fade, a bit of chance, and a lot of grunt work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it's like you were talking about, like we had our little pre-talk yeah. um, about what, what you do, which is it's not just the end of the year, you know, I got to do my taxes things, kind of like, like looking what's going on with your business throughout the year, which I find really valuable because it makes me actually face the fact that it is a business. That yeah. I am... <laughs> You know, having to feed my family, put my kids through college, and do all this other stuff. And it's not just about, hey, you know, like I just did a weekend at the Broken Toe in Idaho and I came back with this much money. It's about, okay, well, this is coming in, this is going out. I have my mortgage, I have this, I want to reinvest in the business. And I myself really just a spreadsheet kind of guy, but the kind of things that you guys do where you're looking ahead, have a strategic approach. I think would be valuable in any business, especially the entertainment business, because most comics don't have a business head. <laughs> I'm sure it's, you always need to try and fill the funnel. Um, right, yeah. I'm sure you've, there's probably a lot of repetitive gigs, but I, again, I'm not as familiar with your, with your, with the comedy business, but I'm sure it's a lot of, you, you always need to be selling to some extent. Right. Well, I'll give you a, a, the financial outlook of a comedy weekend sometimes. Uh, I did a corporate show for a trucking company in New Hampshire one weekend where I made um, multiple thousands dollars for that corporate gig. Corporate pays the most and college until you really make it big in the industry. And it was up in New Hampshire. And on the way back, I had a gig in a biker bar in Massachusetts for $25. So that's kind of the, the comedy financial uh, seesaw in, in, a, in a nutshell. Right. So it's like people will say, well, I'm not going to work for that or I'm not going to work. Comics will work if they're open. They will say, okay, I got an open gig and I'll do this, which may, might lead to this. It's, it's really, an, like I said, like really an optimistic point of view for people that are usually very pessimistic. Right. No, that's, that's, that's definitely a good way to look at it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Another gig calling, right? <laughs> that's my agent saying, hey, we didn't get the thing in Vegas, but I got you this thing in Patterson for tomorrow night. Last time he put me in Patterson, it was a place called the, the Brownstone. It was for a company and I'm doing my act and nothing is working. And I'm looking at the tables and I noticed everybody was talking Spanish. And then I said, I'll blow anybody, I'll blow English. There was one guy in the entire room of 300 people that spoke. <laughs> it's probably, I wouldn't call it a failure. I think that's just a failure to communicate. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. A, a nice cool hand Luke reference. Yes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure you had words with your agent. <laughs> Through an interpreter. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but no, I, I think, uh, you know, I think this all, all basically boils down to is, um, you got, you basically need to fill your time and, um, there's a lot of opportunity. I call it up opportunity costs in our business, right? Where if you have free time and you're able to take a gig and yes, it doesn't pay well, but if, if you can connect with an audience that likes your comedy and likes what you do, and maybe we'll come see you the next place you're at, I completely get it. It's, it's kind of, you, you need to, you need to take, sometimes you need to take those underpaying gigs um 
you know, for the greater good, I guess. In comedy, when you say underpaying gig, it's that's kind of redundant. <laughs> just say, just say gig. Just gig. say gig. Okay. <laughs> but I'll give you a story about like a gig, an opportunity. Like uh, my friend, a friend was doing a um, a show, and it was in a retirement community. And a comic fell out, and he called me and said, "Can you come and do twenty minutes?" Because somebody fell out. There's no money. And I'm like, how can I turn an opportunity like this down? So, uh, so I go there and I call another comic that's on the show. And I said, what does the audience look like? He goes, oh, about 80. And I'm like, 80 people? He goes, no, they are 80. So <laughs> I go, we go in, but it was a beautiful theater in this um, upscale 55 and over community. And we did the show. And before we came on, they always say no good deed goes unpunished. And the stage manager says, I want you to sign a no obscenity agreement that you're not going to say anything offensive before you go on stage. And I'm like, I, can't, I, I promise I won't use any obscenity, but I can't sign something like that. So I went out and there was a little old lady sitting in the front of the, in front, in the front row. And I said, you're going to be the, the conscious of the audience. So if I come close to the line, I want you to raise your hand, right? So... <laughs> After my first joke, she raises her hand and says, you should be ashamed of yourself, right? And then we went from there, and it worked out really well. And afterwards, the guy actually came up and handed me $300 and said, we liked you the best, and I'd like to have you come back again um, and perform for this audience. And as I looked at the age of the audience, I said, well, we better book this fast. <laughs> Did you make it back? <laughs> yeah, actually, it's so funny, but that was like eight years ago, and I just got a call from them. So I'm in their rotation. The next time they book me, I'll be able to collect that check and my Social Security, which I'm looking forward to. So, so I guess you've, uh, you know, you made the leap. Uh, you're now doing this as a full-time career. You're making a living at it. If, if you had advice for someone else that was coming up the ranks, um, and wanting to do what you do, um, you know, what type of advice would you have for them? Uh, probably stay in school. <laughs> no, I, I would say it's like you have to actually look at it. You have to take that quantum leap and look at the dollars and cents side of, of what you're doing because if you want it to be a business, the reality is you have to be able to pay your bills, you have to be able to save for your future. And um, if you want to put time into your I'm going to use the word art <laughs> if you want to put time into to your career. And if it's in the entertainment industry, um, you really should be looking at that side of the business. Cause what really kills me sometimes is the time that I have to spend, spend on the administrative side, right? Because I'm taking myself away from why I'm really in it, which is like writing comedy, performing comedy, looking for opportunities. So if I can take that off of my plate, that frees up a lot of time, you know? Yeah. So services like that you guys provide, you really have to look at when you're making a business plan, you have to look at that because you know, what's the ROI on sitting here and me putting stuff into a spreadsheet and trying to figure out how I'm going to manage things for my entire year when I don't have a background in that. Right? right. So you should be looking at experts that know how to make it work and put your time and energy into the creative end. At least that makes sense to me. Well, and that's your business. <laughs> Right. You, you right. didn't get into business to uh, do the books, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm horrible with spreadsheets too. Are you good with spreadsheets? I, I can't figure out how to use the formulas or anything else. I was really happy the other day when I figured out how to add a column. It made me feel good. 
<laughs> yeah, we're pretty good with spreadsheets around here. <laughs> you gotta live in them all day long. But uh, so, uh, what is? Can I ask you from my end? Can I ask a question? Can I be like the Mike Wallace on this end? Sure. So, so like, how how do you approach like somebody's like business? You sit down and say, okay, well you know what are you trying to achieve and you kind of lay out you kind of look at things and then lay out a plan or how does that work so usually if uh you know if we're talking to a new potential client um it, it the first conversation is really more about them their business what do they want to get out of their business why do they get into business uh it's to try and really peel the onion to determine what's important to them and ultimately what things they need help with and why they need help with it. Mm -hmm. um, and then once we kind of have the picture, then we can start to determine, okay, well, what resources or solutions can we bring to bear to one, help them get over the hump and help them set the stage for, you know, for the future. And cause it, it's also kind of useless to, throw new things at them that are just going to eat up more time. Right. Right. So it's what things can we put in place that'll either, you know, either we take it on or some small clients will come in and we'll meet with them and we'll give them some advice and they don't become clients. But mm -hmm. if it saves them 10 hours a month, just by giving them a few tidbits of advice, then great. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so really it's, it's, they come to us for advice on they've either hit a point in their business where they're spending more time administering it than working on it. Um, and then what can we do in order to let them get back working on the business? Yeah. Makes to sense. Grow it, to do whatever, you know, wherever they want to take it to the next level. Um, and sometimes that means us doing little bits and pieces of it. Sometimes it means us doing all of it. Sometimes it means us putting in new accounting systems for them or just making minor tweaks. But at the end of the day, it's the focus is making it easier for the business owner to run their business. Yeah. Well, that's, that's something that everybody could use, right? Cause you're thinking here, um, all the things that you have on your plate and any, anytime you can free up time, it's an opportunity to make more money and an opportunity to get other uh, um, gigs for me, um, think about other avenues I can take to comedy. Um, I just thought, I want to share like a, a horror story of when financing comedy met, if you don't mind. I, it oh, just yeah, I'd love to hear it. Was, uh, I was doing a gig about 10 years ago, and after the gig, a guy came up to me, he was about 33, good-looking kid, and he said, you write for other people. And he handed me his card and he owned a hedge fund on 57th street. And I went in, it was, the, it was during the financial crisis. I don't know if I have my time frame right. But, um, so he wanted to be the hedge fund. He wanted to be the hedge fund comedian. So he wanted to tell jokes about hedge funds and the financial crisis. So I'm a comic and just, Naturally, I know nothing about finance. I know nothing about Wall Street. So I had to read the journal every day, Investors Daily every day, and write jokes based on finance for this guy. But he was paying me um, to do this. And um, he was a, 
a good guy, not funny. <laughs> not funny. We had to do a thing where we had to have him do a stand-up act. So he hired an entire audience to laugh. And what we had to do was I would do the warm-up. We put the cameras on the audience. We took those laughs. And in editing, we cut those laughs into his set. Right? And this went on for about a year, which financially it was good. It helped me pay my mortgage. and. Yep. Uh, but what eventually happened is we did a radio show and we would do things called stupid things that you do with your money. And when he realized all the money he spent on trying to become a comedian, he realized that segment was about him and then it was over. Uh, <laughs> if you have any aspirations to get on stage, please tell me now. Okay. No, I don't. Okay. Trust all right. Me, I don't. Okay. I'll leave that to the professionals, which I am not one. <laughs> yeah, I, I I definitely appreciate you coming on. Um, any other funny kind of off the wall uh, things to kind of close out? I'm going to be opening for for Gilbert Godfrey on the fifth uh, of April, and Gilbert, like a lot of comics, is notoriously cheap. So I will tell. <laughs> A funny Gilbert story. <clears throat> um, him and another comedian are um, at a bar, at a singles bar, and they see these two girls come in. And so, um, well, Gilbert says, how do we get to know those? And the other comic goes, we could buy him a drink. And he goes, what's plan two? <laughs> <laughs> Where's that show at? Uh, it's in... Um, uh, Randolph, New Jersey. It's for uh, a Lions Club uh, fundraiser. So it will be Gilbert and myself and a warm-up comic, uh, Gary James. So um, it's a fun show. It's sold out. And wow. it, all the money will go towards the Lions Club, which does a lot of work with children. So um, be a great fundraiser. And Gilbert is just a fantastic guy. <laughs> Very quirky. So. Yeah, no, he is pretty funny. <laughs> I've seen him before, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, thanks, Chip. Um, if anyone Thank wants you. to know anything more about you, what you do, or how to get a hold of you and want to throw lots of money at you, <laughs> how can they do that? <laughs> I like that lots of money part. Well, most people either go to the FBI or uh, <laughs> go to my police record. I think you can pay like three ninety nine online or something and find out what your background is. But um, I have a website, um, chipambrosio.webs.com. Uh, you can check me out on Facebook or Twitter. Um, and it really, it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you. Who knew finance could be so fun? Thank you. <laughs> it doesn't seem it to me most days, but I'm glad you find humor in it. <laughs> <laughs> you should see my finances. They are funny. You should see them. Like, I love it when, when, a, when a portfolio manager calls and asks, asks to manage my portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks, Chip. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> thanks. It's been great. <laughs>